Give us life uh, through your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So last week I shared about a recent experience in our visit to the Grand Canyon and what it was like just stepping to the edge of it for the first time uh, and standing before such grandeur and beauty and realizing that I had anticipations going in, but what I saw before my eyes was something much bigger and much better than what I had thought. And what that produced in me was this sense on seeing that, this sense of wonder and amazement. Uh, A lot of what worship is like, of this coming to see God for who He really is, seeing Him more clearly, and then having a response. Something happens in our hearts of awe and wonder and even joy. But as we were traveling around the Grand Canyon and learning different things and reading different things, uh, I read a little bit about this uh, climate phenomenon called called cloud inversion. And what this happens is a few times a year, because of some different factors happening in the temperature, that the Grand Canyon will be basically flooded with all sorts of clouds. And so as you step to the edge, what you don't see is this vast canyon before you, but you just see up to the rim, just this seabed of cloud coverage. And in that moment, the Grand Canyon hasn't gone away. Uh, The Grand Canyon hasn't changed in any way. But in that moment, as you look at it, it, it lies hidden. You can't see it like you could just a few days ago. There are times in our lives where we are able to see God clearly for who He really is. And there are those times where there is just this natural sense of wonder and awe and joy and trust. And then there are these other times where it just seems like the the clouds come in and lay this coverage over Him. And so it seems like in some way either God has gone Or either He has changed in some way, and we try to make sense of of our circumstances and what life looks like here. In that moment, the question is, how do we live? When, When God is not before us as He seemed to have been in the past. As I think about Israel and just where they were, just just two weeks we saw um, we saw something deep happening in their hearts. We saw celebration, we saw song, we saw them experiencing God's goodness in a very particular way that moved them and that changed them. And their natural response was just one of singing and of worship, gratitude and wonder. But but now in our passage this morning, what's happened is they've they've come to a place where, where what they saw clearly just days ago is now no longer clear, is now seems to be hidden from them. And it's in this time that their faith is going to be stretched, that their love is going to be put to the test. And in this wilderness, here's what we're going to see this morning. In their experience in the wilderness, two vital things are going to happen. Number one, need is going to be exposed in new ways. And number two, grace is going to be experienced with fresh power. 
And both of these are going to be vital to our own lives of faith because in our own wilderness, in our own places of difficulty, hardship, confusion, brokenness, longing, wondering, in our own wilderness, we see these same dynamics at work. Need is being exposed, but at the same time, grace is going to be experienced. So that's where we're going this morning. Need, grace, and along the way, what it means for us. So first, need is exposed. Uh, it's, almost, it's been almost really two months since the people of Israel had been set free. All they knew for their entire lives really was bitter slavery and harsh service. It was a hard life. And, and they're not able to do anything to change it. But then God breaks in. The God who says, I see your affliction. I hear your cries. I know your suffering. And I've come down to deliver you. And what we've been seeing uh, over these past few weeks is a God who breaks in with great power to rescue the people that he loves. And he leads them out of slavery. And what we see is he leads them out of slavery, but now he leads them into the wilderness. It's been almost two months. And at this point, the, the glamour of the nomadic life is wearing off. And they find themselves in this place of great need. They're, they're hungry and they have no food. And this is, a, this is a legitimate need. This isn't just a whimsical desire. This is really a matter of life and death for this people who are in the middle of nowhere without any way to feed themselves. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sense of it all. We are God's loved people. We are God's rescued people. And now we've been following Him and now we find ourselves... Uh, not only in the middle of this dangerous wilderness, but also in the middle of this place where we have no food. And our lives are at great risk. Where is God? What's He doing? And at this point, we can step back and know some of what it feels to be like in their shoes. Because there's been times where we have... We have tried to faithfully follow God where He is leading, and then all of a sudden, we too find ourselves... Uh, in these places of difficulty, in these places of confusion, in these places of, of hardship. And the questions are the same for us. Where is God? Who is He? What is He doing? Is this all different than what I thought it was? Why is God leading us deeper into the wilderness? The wilderness is what we're trying to get out of. But God seems to be intent of taking us deeper into the heart of it. And this is where I think the way God has given us the Bible is, is so helpful to us. So think about what you see mostly on something like Instagram. Most of the, of the pictures there are people presenting themselves uh, at their best. Uh, presenting happy experiences, presenting time with family and friends, what's going on in life, great accomplishments. Uh, you're very careful about what you put forward and how you want to present yourselves. People don't typically go on and post themselves at their worst. So you don't see this post pop up that says, here's a video of me uh, raging at my kids. <laughs> Hashtag counseling for life. Um, hi, everyone. Here's me cutting corners at work. Hope the boss doesn't find out. 
Uh, hi, everyone. Here's, here's a secret that I'm trying to keep from my spouse. Please don't tell. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, here's a list of all the people that I don't like in my life and why. And I'm sorry if you find yourself on it. Um, the Bible doesn't give us this, this photoshopped picture of people's lives. It's not, a, it's not a collection of stories of people who live this vibrant faith, who experienced these challenges and who overcame, and the message is just be like them. Um, the Bible gives us real people with real struggles, uh, with, real fa- with real failures. Um, and that's meant to be an encourage us. And that's what we see here in the words before us, how, how their need in the wilderness was exposed in new ways. Not just hungry bodies, but something much deeper happening at the level of the heart and at the level of the soul. So one, uh, uh, one feature that Hebrew narrative will use to try to emphasize a point is by repeating a specific word. Most of these stories were passed down orally. So if you wanted to make a point, You would include a word and repeat it again and again so that somebody listening would say, oh, that's what they're trying to communicate. There's one key word that's repeated uh, at least eight times throughout this passage. I don't know if you picked up on it when Saber is reading. Um, We hear this word over and over again, the word grumble. Uh, Grumble, 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 grumble. You hear it repeated over and over again. But now when we think about Grumbling, we just think about kind of a mild discontentment. Just somebody kind of, there's, there's something small that's irritating and you just kind of complain a little bit about it. That's kind of a, a grumbling. Uh, but what's happening here and the word behind it here is something much uh, deeper. Uh, it's something much more serious. It, it is a deep discontentment and a deep anger that's kind of brewing in the soul. Listen to verses 2 and 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in this land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." Uh, That's grumbling. That's deep discontentment. That's deep anger at what is happening. And what we see is this grumbling that they are going through is very revealing. What's coming out of their mouths is revealing about something that is going on inside of their hearts and exposes two movements. And these movements are important. First, their grumbling reveals confusion about what God has brought them out of. So there's a strange phenomenon that often happens with uh, kidnapping victims, uh, and it's called Stockholm Syndrome. So sometimes what happens is is a a victim of kidnapping, uh, especially if if they have been held and even violently mistreated, um, because there's such a deep level of trauma that's experienced, sometimes... Uh, a kind of emotional bond will form between the one who has been captured and the captor. So that oftentimes, after they have been released, they will come to the defense of the very one who violently mistreated them. They will look back positively 
upon an experience that was utterly devastating and humiliating and torturous. When you think about what's happening to Israel, you see them looking back on an experience that was horrendous, that was torturous, that was difficult. And and you look back at their experience and they say, basically, that was great. We we sat by these full meat pots. We had bread to the full. Uh, Life was good. Uh, Why did you bring us out here? And why... Did we ever leave and why did we ever listen to you? They've they've forgotten about the bitter service, the harsh mistreatment, the the hopelessness. We've we've read about these, how it says that uh, they lost hope because of their broken spirits and their broken hearts. Even how their own children are being targeted for violence. Their grumbling reveals that they're deeply confused about what God has brought them out of. But their grumbling also reveals that they are deeply confused about who God is, the God that has brought them out. So think about this. Just just days ago, we looked at this last week. These were the words on their lips. Exodus 15. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him my Father's God, and I will exalt Him. You have led in steadfast love, and You will lead us to Your home, and You will plant us on Your mountain. Somehow, that picture and that heart has changed to You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us with hunger. You see a little bit of a difference there? on how God is being perceived and experienced by these people. Um, Their time in the wilderness in their minds has taught them some clear lessons. One, uh, our past wasn't so bad. Two, God, you are not wise. Uh, You are not good. And you are definitely not for us. That's how we're making sense of our time in the wilderness that leads to these hearts that overflow with grumbling. When it comes to to our lives and life in general, there's really two ways to make sense of life and to make sense of God. One way is that we look at our circumstances and, and we take stock of what is happening in our lives and even around the world. And then we come to these very real conclusions about, well, that must mean this is who God is. So this way says uh, life is hard, uh, life is broken, life is confusing. Therefore, God must not be good. He must not be or he must not be for me. The second way to approach life and making sense of our world is to look first at who God is and then make sense of our circumstances. This way says, God, I know he is good. I know he is wise. I know he is trustworthy. And so as I look at life that doesn't seem to make sense, to life that that looks broken in all sorts of different ways, maybe there is more to this that I'm not seeing. Because I know this to be true. So how does this inform this? When you think about your own life, what is your tendency in approaching 
how you make sense of your world and how you make sense of God. What is your starting point? What, which of those informs the other? Life in the wilderness for all of us exposes our needs. Not just at the surface level, but at the deepest level of the soul. But the goal here, and we've got to see this, the goal here is not just exposure. God isn't just bringing the people out in the wilderness to bring out all the mess that is happening in their hearts. Now, that's not what a good doctor does. That's not the end goal. The, the movement behind this drawing into exposure is to help these people experience His grace in new ways. Which brings us to our second final point. In the wilderness, need is not only exposed, but grace is experienced. So before this week, we had a long, dry stretch where there was just no rain. And I've got some new grass that I'm, I'm trying uh, to not kill. Um, and there are these little patches, you know, that it just, it's, it's where it's not, it doesn't make sense to just put a sprinkler out. And so it looks pathetic, but I'm, I'm that guy in my front yard with just a hose <laughs> just spraying like this. It feels like I'm in one of those old cartoons or something. Um, and, and I can, I'll go out there and spray it. And this, you know, as, as the heat is out there. But what, what I know to be true is this water is not going to last long. Uh, this water is going to dry up quick, and this grass is need to be nursed uh, pretty quickly shortly thereafter. And then this past week, uh, we got some of those just torrential downpours. And I was looking out my front window and just seeing this, this just water just, just come down on this grass. And I had this kind of picture of comparison of kind of me just out there. Uh, and it was very clear which of those uh, the grass probably enjoyed more. Um, one of those uh, tells a story of scarcity. Uh, one of those tells a story of great abundance and more than enough. When, when God's people grumble about their situation uh, and about their hunger and about who God is and who He's not for them, there's a variety of ways God could have responded. One is he could have just washed his hands and said, I'm done with you. This is, you're, you're not the kind of people that I was looking for. Uh, thank you. Uh, there's got to be somebody else. Moving on. Um, he could have just said, uh, just be quiet. I quit complaining. I don't want to hear anymore. Uh, he also could have just said, hey, here's, here's a little bit. I'll feed you today. It'll last you. You'll be hungry for the rest of the week, but you're not going to die. Uh, live with it. Here's what we see. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. I'm going I'm to pour grace upon you in your hunger, in your dryness, in your wilderness. I am going to rain bread upon you, not just today, but every day. Not just a little bit, but enough so that everybody has as much as they need and want. And while Pharaoh worked you nonstop, I'm going to force you to stop working on at least one day so that you can rest. Because I am not like Pharaoh. I'm not like what you came out of. I am for you in all things. So that verse 12, then you will know that I am the Lord 
your God. And so God provides this, this kind of bread, and the people are so confused that they just ask the question, uh, what is it? Um, the, word, the word manna is not some complicated, mystical word uh, for this bread. It just Hebrew, it just means, what is it? <laughs> the people looked at it and just says, what, what is this? And so we call it manna. It's an abundant gift of grace. And, and God knows their tendency and our tendency to forget, and so He gives them special instructions. And these come out later in the chapter. Sometimes we'll go, when we go on, on these trips together, um, Katie will find just kind of a random stick. And she'll, she'll keep it, she'll clean it off, and then when she gets home, she puts it in a very special place. Now, anyone who comes into our house looks at that and just looks like, that just looks like a dry piece of wood that needs to be thrown out. Uh, but for her, um, it, it is, it's a reminder of a way in which God has met her um, in love, in grace. It is a reminder of a, a good experience. It's a reminder of joy. It's something that she holds on to. God's instructions here is to take some of this manna and to put it in a jar and to keep it. To keep it, not just for them, but for future generations so that they can tell this story with this jar and say, look at how God has provided for us. Look at who He was in the wilderness. Because we've already seen they have a problem uh, with their short-term memory. And we're going to continue to see it. And so God reminds us. And so this, this manna is a reminder that in the wilderness, God is good. In the wilderness, God is with us. In the wilderness, God is for us. Always. Uh, the wilderness is a difficult place to live. In the wilderness, uh, we will experience hardship, brokenness, suffering, confusion. In the wilderness, our needs at the deepest level will be exposed. And according to Jesus from our New Testament passage, in the midst of the wilderness, there's a kind of food that we can feed upon uh, that won't last. He talks about it as a food that will perish. But he says here in the wilderness, there is a different kind of food that we need that will last, that will sustain, that will give life. A different kind of bread that feeds and nourishes and strengthens the deepest and most hungry parts of our souls. Jesus says to this group in this dialogue, He says, My Father, He gave you bread in the wilderness long ago, but He's giving you a different kind of bread here and now in this wilderness. He is giving you the true bread from heaven. And they hear this and they are intrigued and, and there's a hunger about them. And so they say to him, give us this bread always. We, we want the kind of bread that you are talking about because it sounds really good. And Jesus probably confuses him with what he says next because he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Here in this wilderness, grace will be experienced. 
in a powerful way. Not just in small doses, but in abundance. The wilderness is an opportunity for us to experience God's grace. What does your wilderness look like right now? As you think about life pressing in on you, what's being revealed? What's being exposed? What do you really need? And what are you turning to? What are you looking to to fill you? To feed you? To give you life? Bread that perishes or the true bread? The true bread who gave His life so that we might have life. And may our prayer be just like theirs. Give us this bread always. Let's pray. Our good Father, we do come to You with with hunger. We come to You out of many different places uh, of need. Uh, We have many different questions. We have many different struggles. But we all, everyone in here to a person, uh, has this deep hunger uh, because uh, You have designed us in such a way. And we try to fill it in so many different other places. But I ask that You would turn our hearts towards You, towards the gift of the true bread from heaven, and that that bread would feed our souls, it would fuel our lives, and that it might be what we share with others in a very hungry world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.